Right? When you hear the Dr. Dre, you know always Irish is coming to play. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining me again. Uh, I got to tell you, for this time in the year when there is usually nothing going on with football and college football, I, there's a lot going on. And I have a lot of strong opinions and things we need to get to today. And it is a special treat because... I feel like it's mid-season form. I got a lot to go over. I don't fill this show with fluff. We have things to go over. And I have strong opinions that are probably going to make people mad, but I don't care. Certain things need to be said. We're going to say them here. You know that if you're a fan of this show. So stay tuned. Let's get the propers out of the way. This is the Always Irish Show. Obviously, you can find me on YouTube at Always Irish. You can go to Twitter, type in Always Irish, I will pop right up, or at JKZND4. You can find me there as well. As many of you have learned, since I have partnered up with the Michigan Sports and Entertainment Podcast Network, I have been able to, through their RSS feed and everything through their main website, we are now up and running on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, there's some other ones that I forgot that are going to be coming, but those were the big ones. I want to let you guys know all of those links are totally active now. We are totally up and running. So if you prefer to listen via iTunes instead of YouTube, go ahead and make the switch. All the links are going to be there on my Twitter. They're pinned on my Twitter profile. Every time I post something new to Facebook or, or uh Twitter or anywhere on YouTube, I'm going to put these links in it so they'll be easy to find. I don't ask much of you guys, but I do ask this. If you're going to do this and use one of these outlets, feel free to obviously subscribe to it, rate it, write a review. I know on iTunes, that's what gets you a higher ranking when somebody types in podcast Notre Dame football. The more good reviews and star rankings I have, the quicker I come up in the search which helps the show grow. So even if you want to still using use YouTube as your primary listening uh, center, if you have iTunes, I still would appreciate if you would go there, review it, write something, say you like the show, whatever. It'll help us grow. And that's the idea of this. So I am proud to announce we got that done and we're up and running on all those uh, major outlets. So let's go over a brief outline of the show today. Here's what we're going to do. I have a little scheduling Note that's not going to take long that I want to put in your minds that I think is relevant to keep in mind, and we're going to go over that. We have lots and lots of recruiting news to go over. Some of it good, some of it bad, and some of it that I'm going to tear apart, and so we need to spend some time on that. There was also a publication that came up with a college football list of some sort that I want to go over uh, not only because it's relevant to us with Notre Dame, but I think it gives you a big, a big, a good picture of the big picture, college football and geographically and everything else. So we'll get into that. 
Uh, so we're going to go over that list. And then, of course, I have a new Always Annoyed segment that I am very, very happy to deliver. So that's going to be the show today. And so uh, before we get started, there's one group of people I do want to reach out and thank. And that is the ND Stadium dudes, okay? These are the guys who make sure that all of the athletic fields and stadiums and grounds at Notre Dame are in immaculate condition. So these are the guys, these are the guys who, before the turf, the guys who used to run out there on the TV timeout and replace the divots that are in the field and then run back off in the middle of a monsoon. Okay, these are the guys that make sure the softball field and baseball field look great, even with all the rain we've been getting and the bad weather. These are guys that are big fans and supporters of the show, and they listen while they're working and keeping the grounds in shape in Notre Dame. And I want to reach out to them and say, I really appreciate the support, and we appreciate what you do to keep Notre Dame looking immaculate as always. So thank you to the ND Stadium dudes. That's what I'm going to call them. You know who you are, and I appreciate you. So let's let's first, let's knock out this little scheduling thing, okay? And so here's what I want to go over in terms of schedules. I know I did a, a few weeks ago a listing of the the top you know challenging teams Notre Dame's going to play uh, this upcoming year, and what I I came up with is I, I mean you're you're looking at the obvious suspects with uh, talent wise Georgia Michigan USC and then Stanford I think would be the the bottom of, of that tier is kind of you know the bulk of Notre Dame's schedule in terms of talent that we're going to match up against. However, and I still believe that because it, it just it is what it is. That's just the facts. However, here's what I want to make sure I point out. What you're going to see as we get into the summer months, you got these dog days of summer, you know, between spring camp ending and then the dog days of summer before we get into fall camp. And then we could start talking about, you know, that last month of August ramping up into the season. What you're going to see is a flooding of fluff pieces, everybody coming out with their toughest games on the schedule, you know, th- these kind of pieces because they, they're they easy to talk about and they fill up the, the time, okay, when there's not that much going on. Here's what you need to keep in mind when you read or listen to these podcasts and they're going to tell you what there's a, here's what I want to say. There's a difference between asking who are the toughest teams to play versus what games are most important and toughest on the schedule. To me, those are two different discussions to have. And here's what I mean by that. Like, I know a lot of people, and I think this is important too, that have pointed out that Brian Kelly has yet to win a game at Stanford in his Notre Dame tenure. And that offends me greatly. But the way that the schedule always works out is when it's a home game, it's more in the middle of the season with Stanford coming to South Bend. When it's away games, it's always the last game of the year around Thanksgiving weekend. We go out to Palo Alto. So here's my problem with this. My problem is people are saying, oh, Brian Kelly's got to win out there. That Stanford game is a huge game. He's got to get that win. Uh, That's a big game. Here's the issue with that. In some ways, yes, 
It offends me. Brian Kelly hasn't won in Palo Alto, and that's embarrassing, and he does need to win that game. But where I disagree with this analysis is saying now, as we sit almost in June, saying that's the biggest, one of the biggest games on the schedule, I disagree with that. And the reason I disagree with that is I don't know. The Brian Kelly needing to win out there needs to happen no matter what. But I can't know that that's a huge game on the schedule yet before I know if the game matters at all. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's the last game of the year. If Notre Dame already has four losses, who the hell cares about that game? Yeah, you don't want to lose again in Palo Alto, but if you're playing for nothing, it's not that big of a game. So so what I'm saying to you is, when you're looking at these preseason prognostications about what games are the biggest on everybody's schedule, when you're playing the games matters a great deal to me. You have to give extra credence and importance to front-weighted games on the front side of your schedule. Right? Does that make sense to everybody? I got to wait Georgia way more than I have to wait Stanford. Not only just because of where Georgia's going to be ranked when we play them, but because it's early in the year. The trajectory as a result of that game and its impact on Notre Dame's season is tremendous. That game is going to either kill all the playoff momentum or ramp it up to a level we haven't seen yet by beating a team as good as Georgia. And so, so for me, when I look at what are the most important games on the schedule, I have to front weight the schedule and the teams on the front side way more than the backside because I don't even know if those games are going to matter at all in the national picture or the big picture. Like, yeah, it'd be great to win in Palo Alto, but if we're if we have four losses going into that game, who the hell cares, really? You're not playing for anything that matters. It's just more for Kelly to cross that off his list he won in Palo Alto. Okay, but if you have one loss or no losses and you need to win that game to be in a playoff or in the conversation for the playoff, totally different discussion on how important that game is. And so I just want you to think of that when you start seeing people you're going to start seeing these lists, and it's going to say what games are most important for Notre Dame. You're going to see Stanford second and third on some of those lists, and I just disagree with that because I don't know if the game matters yet because of where it is in the schedule. That matters. These early swing games that shift all your momentum up or down matter way more than anything in November right now. You get through October undefeated. We got to talk about this differently. But that's one of the big reasons for right now. Georgia's everything to me. Georgia is that entire trajectory of the entire season. And therefore, I have to weight that game with more importance than I do something I don't even know if it's going to be nationally relevant when it happens. That just seems logical to me. And I wanted to point it out to you guys. Every game is not stand alone. It matters where it is in the schedule and what could be going on. And so I can't worry that much about games. I don't even know if they matter yet. Georgia, I know it's going to matter. Even Michigan, that's at a weird place in the schedule this year. Usually Michigan's always early. The fact that Michigan is mid to late October, that's a weird time in the schedule for Notre Dame to play Michigan. So that's going to have a totally different feel to it 
rather than being the first or second or third week like it usually is when we play them, each team's going to have a chance to either rattle off a bunch of wins or catch a couple losses that makes that game, you know, yeah, it's always going to matter between Michigan and Notre Dame, but if each has a couple losses, I mean, that's not a national game anymore. It's just not. So that's that's interesting how that falls in October. Usually it's in September. And so that's my scheduling thing. I That's how I look at it. Early season big games have to be weighted more um, because of their national relevance and trajectory and momentum or not for the rest of the season. And so for that reason, I can't look at Stanford and put it up there that much compared to Georgia. It's 20 times less important at this time than it than Georgia is to me, just because of where it is in that schedule. Okay, so let's let's move into I have a couple of recruiting topics. One of them is going to get ugly, and quite frankly, I don't care. Um, there's certain things that I don't have any flexibility on. Um, and 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 we ran into one of those situations. So a couple recruiting things here. Number one is obviously the good news is last Thursday we did indeed secure the commitment of number one in the country, all-purpose running back, Chris Tyree. Um this this was this is a big deal. It's a splash. Notre Dame rarely makes uh, getting the num uh, at a skill position, getting the number one player in the country with good grades, good family, good just just everything just kind of fits. And it's rare for Notre Dame to be in that position with a kid who's number one in the whole country, other than like a quarterback and a, a guard, you know, or something like that. But it's it's a big splash. It's a big get. I think it's one of those things that opens some eyes to some people who regularly downplay or brush off Notre Dame being a real player uh, for top talent or in the country in general. And it makes them kind of say, wow, look at Notre Dame. Maybe they got something going. You know, maybe they do. And so it's an eye-opening thing for people who don't take Notre Dame seriously. Um, I mean, I don't need to hype the kid up. He has top, you know, four, three, something speed, uh, maybe the high end of the four threes. Uh, but he's a stud that everybody wanted. And and it's it's think about here's the thing that I think Notre Dame fans do not usually have the luxury of of considering. Think of the roster flexibility you have when you have a kid that you think could come in as a freshman and start, or if not start, get a ton of action right away. Now, I don't think we're used to that as Notre Dame fans. But just think of the roster flexibility. You might have some running backs you're comfortable with, and then you have a freshman come in who can compete with all of them right away. It opens up your options. It gives you more flexibility to endure injuries or guys who fall behind in grades and have to miss time, like whatever. But when you have young kids that can play and contribute early or right away, it just gives you so much more roster flexibility and margin for error. And, and I don't think Notre Dame's in that position enough to have that kind of flexibility. And, and this commitment makes me realize that. It's going to be great to have a kid like that who could be good for a bunch of years, not just one or two and then he's gone. And, and so this is the kind of kid Notre Dame needs to get to close that gap between them and, 
and the big boys. And by the big boys, I mean the guys who you keep losing to <laughs> in embarrassing fashion in these huge games, like Ohio State, like Clemson, like Alabama. I know you're never going to be able to recruit exactly like them. You just have to be able to recruit close enough that you have a chance any given day. That's all. I don't expect you to be better than them all 12 weeks and have a more athletic roster overall. You don't need that. And Notre Dame's never going to have that just because of the different way they can recruit than us. Different kids they could go after. All those We all know the reasons it's hard to recruit at Notre Dame. You just have to be in the ballpark that on that day you play them, you could beat them by a point. That's all you got to be able to do. So, so this is the kind of kid that helps you close that gap. The issue is... You need about two or three of them on offense and two or three of them on defense every cycle to get to that Alabama level, right? I'm talking about number one kid at his position. We have one of them. Just to give you an idea of where recruiting's at, we have we have this kid, and I think one of the tight ends is number one uh, in this class, is number one overall, number one in the state. Clemson's looking at six, seven, or eight of these kids who are going to be number one in their class uh, at their position. See, so, so we're doing good, but Clemson's doing great. And so, you know, we got to keep getting more of these kids. Try and land more than at one or two at, on each side of the ball. Try and, try and just keep up. That's what you have to do. Try and keep up. And so this is just a great get. It's a kid everybody wanted. He's a good kid. He's not going to cause problems. Good family. Good in the classroom. Um and he's just a freak athlete, and everybody wanted him, and Notre Dame got him. And so I hope they do the right thing, give this kid every chance to play early and often, find every different way to get him the ball, let him return kicks, let him return punts, hand him off the ball. I don't care. Notre Dame rarely gets these kids. Use them. Use them. Let them be athletes early. Give the kid a chance early. But truly, the, the overall point with this is that roster flexibility, Notre Dame's not used to. To have these, we're used to these young kids, you being like, well, that's going to take a couple years before they see the field. That's garbage. You need to recruit kids that can play now. And if they can't play now, they can at least challenge the kid who is playing now that it, to a level that it ups their game. See, that's how this all connects. And that's why it's so important. I keep saying you have to recruit kids that can at least push for playing time early. Because that high tide rises all ships. So the level of competition goes up when you got some young kid and then a junior going, looking over his shoulder saying, God dang, I'm about to lose my spot here because of this kid. I don't like this. Good. I like that kind of competition. I like guys feeling uncomfortable in that regard. I like people being pushed. That's how the whole program brings it up a notch. I love it. So anyways, this is Thursday night. Everybody's on, I think Thursday night, everybody's on top of the world. Notre Dame's getting all sorts of good publicity. Everybody on Twitter, national guys are saying, what a gift for Notre Dame. And you know what else, you guys? This is how you know something's true, is when non-Notre Dame homers are saying it. I don't care what the Notre Dame beat guys think because they're paid by Notre Dame. Okay? That's the thing people need to realize about these media people. You think you think somebody for the South Bend Tribune is going to rip Brian Kelly for something and then go in there in the next press conference and expect information from Brian Kelly? That's why you can't trust these guys because they're all in the pockets of the teams they're covering. 
They know they're not going to get any information if they rip Notre Dame. So that's why it's hard to trust or listen to a lot of the the Homerish people, Notre Dame media people, South Bend Tribune people, people that get fed by Notre Dame are not going to rip Notre Dame. That's not how it works. So that's why I don't trust those people and don't go to them for most of my media. So when you have non-Notre Dame affiliated people who have nothing to do with Notre Dame, but are in the college football world that are jumping in saying what a great get this is for Notre Dame, that's how you know you could believe it because it isn't coming from anybody who has any stake in Notre Dame being good. That's how you know it's true. And there's a lot of that going around when we got Chris Tyree. So I'm sitting there thinking I'm giddy and I'm excited about Tyree. I'm happy about all the good publicity and media we're getting for closing the deal, getting this kid. Okay. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know what? Maybe, maybe this is going to turn into something. Like maybe we could parlay this into a couple more big time commitments. I'm thinking Tyree's at all these camps with all these other big time guys. Like maybe this can ramp into something. And then you got you had Tyree announcing when he was going to announce. And then right after that, you had McGregor announcing he was going to announce the day after. So what you're thinking is, it was either day after or two days after, whatever. But after Tyree set his commitment announcement date, McGregor quickly followed. So that had everybody thinking, maybe they're going to like double up on this and just be this huge home run Memorial Day weekend for big time recruits for Notre Dame. Those of you that don't know, McGregor is a four star, highly thought of defensive lineman out of Michigan that Notre Dame and Michigan were the two schools that it was down to. Okay, so so the timeline of this is important to where I'm going to go in this conversation that's going to get ugly. Um after the timeline's important, so I want to be very clear. After Tyree said when he was going to commit, right after that, McGregor said his date for right after it. That had Notre Dame people excited, thinking this was like some maybe coordinated thing and we're going to pile on and it's just going to keep getting better and better. Okay, So that's what I had dreams of. At the same time, I'm thinking... It's a Michigan kid, and it's asking a lot to pull a Michigan kid away from Michigan. That's a very, very tough ask. And and so I'm thinking he's a Michigan lean, but the timing of when he's going to announce makes me think maybe Notre Dame's in it. The media reports from both sides were that neither coaching staff had been informed as of the night before his commitment of where he was going. That is what the national recruiting and media people were reporting that neither staff had heard either way and that it was a 50-50 race going into his commitment date. That is what we were told. So, then we get to McGregor's actual announcement. And he's got this stupid thing with the table with all the hats a uh, true immature move. He he. I think he fake lunged for the Clemson hat, grabs the Michigan hat. I already told you guys my stance on the fake out with the diff- faking grabbing a hat. That is pure trash. It is classless. It is tasteless. Um, that is a disrespectful move to me in my opinion. 
if you want to say to me, John, it's just a teenager, you know, he's he's immature, give him some slack. He is a teenager, his parents are not, and they were there with him. That is a trash, classless move. The fate, grab one hat, grab another. There's nothing anyone can tell me otherwise. That is a tasteless, classless move. And even if you want to say the kid's immature, the parents should be mature enough to say that's inappropriate, disrespectful, you don't do that. That didn't happen here. Number one, red flag. Now, here's where we're going to go here because it's about to get ugly. I will never rip a recruit for picking to go to any school. Obviously, I want the good kids to go to Notre Dame. A lot of them don't. I will never rip a kid for where they pick. I will rip a kid for how they pick and how they disclose their pick. I want to be very clear about that. There is a difference. I will never just say, oh, a kid picked Clemson instead of Notre Dame. What a piece of crap. Good luck with that degree. You know, I'm not one of those people. I've never been one of those people. Each kid can go where he thinks it's best for him. I don't care. Okay? Also, you know my stance on talking to recruits on social media. I've never done it. I never will do it. That is creepy beyond belief. It is creepy for adult grown men to be tweeting 17-year-olds, hey, dude, you know, Notre Dame's the best. No, Michigan's the best. Look at how big our stadium is. Okay, like you're in your basement, you know, your mom's basement in your drawers. You got Pornhub up on one window and on the other window you have Twitter and you're typing all this, you know, you should come to Notre Dame because we have the best fans. Like, like you think your opinion matters to some like great athlete who could go to school anywhere in the country. And you think your hillbilly opinion from your basement is going to sway this kid when he's deciding between these top level, ultra famous, well, these grade A big name brands. You think your hillbilly opinion is going to sway him. Okay. That is creepy. I'll never do that. So while I never rip a kid for choosing a school, I reserve the right to rip a kid if I think the way it was done was distasteful, classless, tasteless. And that's what I think happened in this situation. So let me explain why some of the timing of this stuff doesn't add up. Okay. So, so what you quickly find out once he commits to Michigan with the fake hat grab, cool move, bro. You totally faked me out. Okay. So then he commits to Michigan. And then right after that on social media, you there's a video that starts circulating of McGregor committing to Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. But what you quickly realized was this happened weeks and weeks ago that he committed to Michigan. Okay, so now I'm sitting there looking at my phone, putting together the timing of this. And I'm saying, now, wait a second, time out. Everybody was told here that this was a 50-50 race. He was still deciding back and forth. Neither staff has been informed of what's going on. And everybody's on the edge of their seat. Well, it turns out that was a lie. 
And in fact, he had committed to Michigan weeks and weeks, multiple weeks ago. Okay, now here's the problem I have with that. If you want to be a silent commit to a certain school until a certain date, I have absolutely no pro problem with that at all. I have no problem with that at all. But what I do have a problem with is when you commit to a school, even if it's a private commit that you didn't want public yet, you still owe it to the other school in the race, in this case, Notre Dame, that as soon as you went on that Michigan visit and committed to Jim Harbaugh, I think the respectful and classy and dignified thing to do is after that to call the other school, Notre Dame, thank them for their efforts and for their offer and say, you know what, I, I decided I'm going to stay in my home state and go to Michigan but I want to thank you guys for all your, your opening your arms to me and uh, wanting to recruit me, okay? And, and so that way, you let Notre Dame know you're going to go to Michigan when you know it after you committed. That way, Notre Dame could make other arrangements for recruiting, um, back off a little bit, move their resources around towards the next guy we might want to get or, or whatever, Okay. To me, that is the respectful, classy thing to do. If I was a student athlete and this was my situation, the first thing my parents would have told me was, right when I committed to a school, you get on the phone and you call the other schools that are in the race and you tell them your decision so they can move on with their recruiting and allocate their resources and not waste their time. That didn't happen here. And I have a problem with that. Now, you may not care about this or it might not be a big thing to you, but this is something that does matter to me. Handling things with respect and class is a big deal to me. The way this was handled was trash, pure trash, okay? Not only by the kid, but by his family too, because they're a part of it. So there, don't give me Oh, John, these are immature kids, okay, that don't see the big picture. That's what you have parents for. If this was me, my parents would have said, one, there's no such thing as fake picking a hat. Don't be a trash ball. That's number one. And number two, you get on the phone right after you commit to a school and you personally thank everybody else who's in the mix and you tell them your decision like a man right when you know it was made so they can move on. That did not happen here, and I'm calling trash. Because let me ask this, you guys. If you think I'm being harsh on this, this situation, let me ask you this. Can you think of one valid reason to commit to Michigan? Nobody knows. And then, by the way, I don't blame the Michigan staff for keeping it quiet for a couple weeks. That's up to you. If you get a silent commitment from a kid, that's fine. You can play that however you want. That's not the half of this I have an issue with, is the silent commit. It's the not telling Notre Dame for weeks. That's the side I have a problem with. If you got the commit, you got the commit. Handle it how you want to handle it. Between the kid and the school. That I don't care about. But not informing Notre Dame is a trash, classless move. It's disrespectful. You don't do that. 
It's not okay. And But here's my question with this. If you think I'm being harsh, you tell me what is the point of this kid not informing Notre Dame of his decision when he made it? This was not a I don't know what I want to do type of thing. He actually said, quote, it was always Michigan. He said that. That's an exact quote that he said. Quote, it was always Michigan. So you tell me, what is the point of not telling Notre Dame for multiple weeks? Honestly, I'm asking you, think about it. What could be some reasons you wouldn't do that? One reason I thought of is to try and get as much attention on yourself as possible by having both the Michigan and Notre Dame media frothing at the mouth over this upcoming decision so you get the most lights on you for the longest. Instead of just getting attention from Michigan, you are getting attention from Notre Dame too. Not just Notre Dame, the actual school and coaching staff, but all the media, all the fans, everybody talking about recruiting. So one reason to not say you are committed to Michigan uh, would be to try and play this out and get as much attention for yourself as possible until it does come public. I find that distasteful. I don't see the reason for it. You already got a full scholarship to Michigan. How much more attention do you want? So that's a bullshit reason right there. Wipe that off as a legitimate reason to do this. Number two reason to do this would be to try and screw Notre Dame as hard as possible by trying to suck up their recruiting resources, time, and effort to have them blowing it on you instead of the next defensive line recruit, but we're not putting our time there because we're trying to land you. Also a classless, trashy, bullshit move. Can you think of a third reason? Because I can't. So if those are the only two that I can name, and they're both garbage, trash excuses for this behavior, then I got a major problem with all this. I just do. Can you name another reason? Can you name me a legitimate reason that isn't distasteful that you would go on like this and not inform Notre Dame? Because I can't. I can't think of one legitimately not disrespectful reason things would be handled this way. So it's either he just wanted all this attention for longer or he wanted to screw Notre Dame and their resources or both. Whichever door you choose to walk through, you open it and there's a bag of trash there. It's just a trashy move. It's just a trashy move. So maybe he belongs at Michigan because it's perfect. It's a perfect marriage because this was not handled in a classy way whatsoever. So this, these were my notes leading up to today in how I was going to approach this topic and how it rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, how even if you want to say 18-year-olds are immature, your parents should be classy enough to know this was not the appropriate way to play this out and how disrespectful and trashy it looks. So these were my notes coming into recording this show tonight, which is Tuesday night, okay? Then I get on Twitter this morning, and there's just a, a foot, not a Notre Dame particular, but a general Twitter account 
uh, We Talk Football or something like that about a college football account that tweeted out some really interesting things. Now, I don't know who runs this account. You know how Twitter is. People can put anything they want, true or not true, it doesn't matter, okay? But there is an interesting thread here that said, you want to know how in uh, Jim Harbaugh's head, Brian Kelly and Notre Dame are, here's how the McGregor commitment went down. And this, this there's a string of tweets that point out how Braden committed to the Michigan staff at least three weeks before it was officially announced, but was told by the Michigan staff to tell all the media he still didn't know where he was going to go so that it would make it look like a big win over Notre Dame when it did come out, to make it look like they weren't getting him all along, but it really was neck and neck, and then they won out. Okay, that's one tweet. Then this tweet, another tweet says, he was also directed by the Michigan staff to lie to current Notre Dame players and say that he was coming to Notre Dame, thinking that the disappointment of him pulling out from that and announcing to Michigan would screw up Notre Dame's recruits' heads and mess up whatever flow we have going. Makes no sense to me. And then another tweet that says, Harbaugh and company told this kid to plan and schedule his announcement the day after Notre Dame was going to get Tyree to try and pour some water on the hot momentum and the media that Notre Dame was going to get for landing Tyree. So to kind of jump and piggyback that and, and kind of stop that right away by getting this big win over Notre Dame on the recruiting trail the day after, okay? Now, I don't know if this is true or not. It matches the timeline perfectly, and it explains some of why it would have been done this way. So I don't know whether this is true or not. If it is true, Jim Harbaugh is a desperate, pathetic, weird guy. Like, like this guy, like this is the kind of thing I could see him doing because he's such a head case and such a lunatic and he can't beat the big name rivals on the field. And so the only way he can kind of make up for that is to take these guys on trips all over the place, trying to make a big deal of it. Like, like Notre Dame doesn't do that regularly as a part of school anyways, going on these exotic trips all over the world with his football program. and But but little man syndrome, things like this, it wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past Harbaugh because he's so petty and he's so tacky and he's so classless and he's so tasteless and he's so desperate that this would just fit right in line with it. And then the fact that McGregor and his family went along with it it's all just perfectly wrapped up in this little Ann Arbor ball of trash that's the Michigan football program. I always say there's just no class there. Every time I interact with their fans, it's negative. Uh, there's just I've just not run into classy Michigan people. So maybe this is all just perfect and a perfect match made in Ann Arbor for all these tasteless, classless, disrespectful people to just all be in it together. So it makes perfect sense. Even, even if this string of tweets today about the Michigan staff telling McGregor to handle things this way, to try and screw Notre Dame, 
even if none of that's true, this was still handled terribly, classlessly, tastelessly, top to bottom by this kid and his family. And I will never back off of that. This was disrespectful, not how you show your appreciation for getting offered a full scholarship to one of the best universities in the world. Not handled correctly, and I will never change my mind on it. It was handled like pure trash. And, and so I just felt the need to point that out um, because this was a ridiculous circus and it wasn't handled the right way. And so that that's all I want to say about it. True Michigan, man, that's for damn sure. I mean, if, if any of this stuff is really how it went down, they're a perfect fit. Uh, and so, um, but the, the deal is uh, actually looking at the recruitment of McGregor as a player, I, there's a few thoughts that I have. One is, this wasn't a huge position of need. Defensive line is the deepest Notre Dame's been in 25 years, at least. So it wasn't a huge position of need at the moment. Notre Dame really likes what they already have in Mills, Batalo, and Kenanana. I don't know how you pronounce Kenanana. I don't know how you pronounce that. But they like what they have in those guys. And they still have other guys they're targeting as well. I know Melton's still going to be on the board, especially now that we're moving on from McGregor. Um... And, and so those are some things to think about. This isn't as big of a recruiting loss as some other kids would be in positions of need. And so I don't think it's that painful. This would have been more the cherry on top. Um, and, and so we definitely wanted them, but this is how it worked out. Here's, But here's the big thing. And I, I think maybe I and maybe you underestimate this factor in these kids and their recruitment. And, and, and the factor I'm talking about is this. I always had McGregor as a Michigan lean because he's from Michigan. And, and I really want you guys to think about that. Like, think about how, like, I would judge Notre Dame differently for losing out on this kid if it was between Notre Dame and somebody else not in his home state. But really think about how hard it is when you have a kid who grows up loving football in a state like Michigan, where you have this blue blood traditional program like Michigan, he grows up a Michigan fan, all of his teammates are Michigan fans, all the community, all the teachers, all of his other classmates, all of his neighbors, they're all Michigan fans, they hate Notre Dame. And then you expect this kid to just buck all of that? And then just say, oh, yeah, now I'm going to the enemy. I think people underestimate how hard of a decision that would be for a kid who's in that situation. I really do. Like, I think about my college football biases and how strongly I hold them. I don't know if I could overcome that to go to some of those schools. I, I really don't because my animosity towards the schools I hate is that strong. Number one being Michigan. And so for that reason, I always had him as a, a strong Michigan lean because I just think it's so hard to overcome that in-state team I cheered for my whole childhood. And then you get offered by them. That's a dream come true. And that's really hard to turn away from. And, and so that's why I say I don't ever blame a kid for where they go. Uh, but I can blame her for the way they do it. I think there's a classy and a non-classy way to go about it. And this particular one was handled totally 
to, to me, totally offensively. Uh, it, it incorrect, just a classless way to do it. Um, but that that isn't the point I'm trying to make. You you get what I'm saying about in 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 state. I just think that's a lot to overcome. That a team you grew up hating your whole life, that was your favorite team rival, offers you, and that school offers you. I, I just it's really hard to pick the other school. So I don't blame the kid for that. I blame him for how him and his family handled this. I expect more, especially from the parents who aren't teenagers. They should have been classier, but they weren't. So they'll have they'll fit in great at Michigan. Michigan, where where Jim Harbaugh in one second was quick to put out a tweet saying how awesome it was to have Juwan Howard, a Michigan man, back on campus to run the basketball program. But never once, not now, not then, not before, did he make any statement about Beeline leaving and congratulating him for all the hard work he did and, and rising Michigan basketball to the level it is. Harbaugh didn't mention a word about him leaving. And, and we wish him well nothing. I mean, these kind of niceties, just they're just they're lost on this guy. Totally classless. But oh, Juwan Howard, I'm all excited about that. Six kids from four women, who cares? DUI, who cares? Fab five scandal, who cares? You know what matters? He's a Michigan man. That's all that matters. That's all that matters over there in Ann Arbor, that you're a Michigan man. Okay? So so I don't even know why I expect things to be done respectfully there, because it just ain't gonna happen. That's just another example. Never did he thank Beeline for what he did for that program and wish him luck at all. So that's just the kind of guy he is. Okay, so so let's move let's move away from recruiting for a little bit, and, and I want to move into something. Uh, many of you, if you're diehard football fans, you're probably familiar with the Athlon. Um, magazine and website, and they put out a lot of college football stuff, different rankings, different, like a ton of different stuff, uh, really popular in the preseason. Um, and, and what they came up with was Athlon's best jobs, best college football jobs ranked. Okay. And they're ranked by attractiveness to a neutral coach looking, just a totally neutral coach looking at what is the best job if it was open and offered to them. Now, there are a lot of things that were considered going into this ranking system. Things like geographical location, obviously, overall money and resources of the not only the program, but the school in general, history and tradition, facilities are something that obviously matters, support from the academic side, you know, all those kind of things were factored in. And so here's what they came up with. See if you agree. Number one best overall job, Georgia. Two, Alabama. Three, Ohio State. Four, Texas. Five, Florida. Six, USC. Seven, Clemson. Eight, Oklahoma. Nine, Florida State. Ten, LSU. Eleven, Michigan. Twelve, Texas A&M. 13, University of Notre Dame, okay? So I'm going to stop there just because it's largely irrelevant who's lower than that. Um, but I wanted to look at this list and then just see, like put it up there in my mind and try and see what I can pull from it overall, generally speaking. And there's a few things that popped into my mind that I think are very 
important to us as Notre Dame fans to keep in mind. Here's number one. Here's one thing I noticed. There's really only three Northern or Midwest schools on this entire list, and it's Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Michigan. And so what you learn about that is, yeah, you can be in crappy weather and be on this list, but you better have a hell of a history and a backstory, and you better be a true blue blood, okay? And Because there's only three of them on the list, and it's Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State. And so you look at that, and, and I say – what do those three have in common? And it's and it's the history and the tradition, and they're considered blue bloods. So that makes sense to me. But I do think it's important to note that of 13, there's only three of them that are even in the Midwest or Northern area. Then you have 10 other teams that aren't, okay? And so that, that brings me to a notification of geographical region and people not wanting to freeze their nuts off. Okay, because most of these areas have pretty tepid or mild weather most of the year. Georgia, Alabama, Texas, Florida, Southern California, South Carolina, Oklahoma, that gets cold sometimes. Uh, but Florida, but that's still, I consider that still south, at least to where I am. Florida State, LSU, Texas A&M. Okay, so. So you see a lot of these warmer, uh, more fair climates that a lot of people are attracted to. Obviously, I understand that as a Chicago area person where the weather was terrible 10 months out of the year. So that makes sense to me as well, the geographical importance of this. The third thing that I've noticed, and this might be the most important of all, is the recruiting hotbeds that these places are in. I'm talking about places where there's local talent that grows up wanting to play for you. You don't get a ton of that in Illinois or Indiana for Notre Dame kids. You just don't. Every once in a while, you have a Jalen Smith coming out of Indiana. But for the most part, Indiana's not a state pumping out a ton of top-end talent that want to go to Notre Dame that are easy recruiting cycles. You don't have that. And so then you compare that to these talent-laden, just, oh, you ever see these maps, these recruiting talent maps? If you go to one of these recruiting websites and you look it up, like where the top 100 players from and they have a big digital map, it, it tells you where they're at. And it's mostly in the South, okay? Southern California has a ton of talent. Texas, Oklahoma has a ton of talent. That Georgia, LSU, Alabama, Florida area has a ton of talent, okay? And so it's just easier to recruit when you have all that local talent. I'm saying, do you know how bad of a coach you have to be to not win at USC or Florida State or Miami? Or give me a break. You have to be terrible to not win there. We're recruiting so much easier to you because you have decent weather and a ton of talent right around you. You have to be terrible to not win there. And, and so overall, the most impressive thing on this list might be Ohio State at three because they continue to get top-end talent. It doesn't matter how crappy the weather is in November at Ohio, in Ohio. They still get top-end talent. And so, well, at least they did. We're going to have to see if that continues now that Urban's gone. But uh, that's impressive to me that they continue to draw that much talent being in such a bad area for weather. 
So the the rest of these, I don't really see that many surprises. I mean, do you see anything that really surprises you? These are all pretty big time programs. Uh, I guess you don't think of Texas A and M. That might be the one that you that doesn't exactly jump off the page and come to mind right away. If you were if you were doing this list and you asked me this, Texas A and M probably wouldn't be on the list. They're just not top of mind to me. But you look at the money they're paying Elko and Jimbo, and they're they're cashing out top dollar down there. So uh, I mean, they're ready to spend. And so that that might be one that that would surprise me on this list, but I don't really think any of the rest of them do. Um, and and so it makes sense to me when you think about it. There's only three Midwest schools here, and they're all blue bloods, and that's probably the only reason they are on the list. And then you have location, location, location with weather, and then you have location in terms of relationship to talent acquisition, and that's how you end up with this list. So uh, I don't. Do you have a problem with this list? I don't really have a problem with it. Um, when I look at it, I, I just don't. I think if you're considering all these different things, it makes sense. Notre Dame's a little lower because of the recruiting restrictions. It's harder to win in Notre Dame. And so I, I don't have a problem with it being lower than top 10 because this is looked at as the top places to go to win. And it's hard to win in Notre Dame. And so I can understand why they're a little lower in the top 10, but still a blue blood program with the big tradition. So I get it. Um, but I, I just thought that was an interesting experiment. I tried to pull out and look at the major themes from it and what we can gather from it. And and that's what I came up with. Okay, so that we, we went over some he kind of heavy stuff today that, uh, that I needed to get out. And, and uh, so now it's time to lighten it up a little bit. And towards the end of the show, it is indeed time for... Another segment of the growing in popularity, always annoyed. So what do I have in store for you this week, you ask? Here's what it is. And I've always, always had a problem with this, even since I was a little kid. And a little kid that loves sports, even I was rolling my eyes as a 12-year-old when athletes say this stuff. Now... I need to preface this by announcing something. I am a good old-fashioned Irish Catholic. I just am. My family's Catholic, okay? I have 12 years of Catholic education for me, um, okay? So I consider myself a Catholic, not a perfect Catholic, uh, but a Catholic, okay? Um, and, and so I'm not one of these people who's against God or whatever, okay? I believe in, in God and Jesus and all that stuff, okay? That's what I need to preface this by. But I always have a problem with athletes who, after a game that they win, get interviewed by somebody, and one of the first things out of their mouth is, all glory be to God, God made this possible, God helped me make the shot, make the putt, made us win, whatever it is, all of it's only possible because of God. I got to thank God. I got all glory be. You know the routine. Okay. You know, I got to thank God first because without God, this wouldn't be possible. God helped me get it done, they say. Okay. Here's the problem I have with that. If you're going to tell me in a post-game interview that God helped you get this win, then it's then only if you're going to take that position logically. 
philosophically, if that's the position you're taking, the only way to remain intellectually consistent is that God didn't want your opponent to win, that God likes you and your team more than he likes the other team. That has to be true for you to be philosophically reasonable. It has to swing both ways. God can't have made you play well and win this game without hurting the other team and not making them play as good. Right? Am I missing something in the logic here? But if you're going to say to me, you all glory be to God for helping me get this win and putting me in a position to perform this way to get this W, that means God didn't do that for the other team. So that means one of two things must be true. One, you need to admit that God likes you more than the other guy or the other team. Or two, you need to admit you don't believe in all this stuff and you're just throwing God and Jesus out there because you know it looks good in front of the camera to worship God and to be that guy who seems humble and giving giving thanks to God and not taking all the credit. So either that's an act, which is atrocious, that you would do that to look good on TV. Either one, it's an act. Or two, you also need to admit that God likes you more than the other guys. It has to be that way. You can't say God helped you win, but he didn't do that for the other guy, or he didn't do it enough. So then I have to ask, why are you so special that God likes you and your teammates more than the guys across the field? Why are you guys so special that God chose you to win today and to help you perform your best, but not the other guys? And and so... I feel like this this is taboo to address uh, and try and point out, you know, because it's like, oh, John, geez, the guy's thanking God. Can't you, you know, give him a break? Or, you know, you're really going to go after a guy for thanking God? But when I see a philosophical inconsistency, I got to call it out because it's in my nature. And even since I was a little kid, whenever this this routine comes up, I roll my eyes and go, oh my God, I can see, spare me. I can see right through this, okay? So, so here's what I want. Answer me this. We already established for this to be true, you're being so arrogant that you think God likes you and your skills and your talents more than the other guys. You're all better people and that's why you deserve to win and perform at your best. The other team doesn't. We already established. God doesn't like them. He picked you. Okay, so we, we figured that out. But here's the other side of this. Why don't I see more athletes get up there in their postgame uh, address when they lose and say, you know what, uh, God, God was against us. I don't, I don't know why, but today God was against us today, and he didn't allow us to play our best, and I'm really upset at him for that. What, what's, what, why are you guys laughing during this pot? Are you laughing because I say that? Isn't that only fair? You got to have both sides of the coin to be consistent or your position holds no water. So you can't only play the God card when everything goes your way 
And then when you lose, it has nothing to do with God. But when you win, it's all God. You can't have it both ways. Doesn't work. You're philosophically inconsistent. I'm not going to allow you to get away with it. I'm not. So, so these are the problems I have with it. Uh, it, it you got to, for this to be, for you to be able to pull this card, you got to admit God likes you more than the other team and you deserve to win more and state the reasons why. Then I'll, then I'll applaud you for going this path. And, and, and next, when you start losing, you have to start blaming God. You can't just take, claim the God card when it's all good. But, but if you're on the losing end, then that's got to be God's fault too. Now I'm going to tell you, I've been asking for athletes to blame God after loss, just how they kiss up to him after a win. And there's one guy of recent vintage in all sports, one guy that I actually heard do this kind of, and I applauded him for it. And it was Cody Parkey, the Bears kicker who double doinked it in the playoffs against the Eagles to make the Bears lose with no time left. And he actually got up there and said it wasn't God's will for this ball to go in. And he is the only guy of recent vintage that I have heard actually say something about this relating to God when it goes bad. And I actually credit him for that. I credit him for that because at least he's consistent with the God theme. Those of you who aren't, you're just, I don't take you seriously. You're playing the God card to look good on TV. And I don't buy it unless you're going to flip it and use it on the other end too. So I want you to admit that God likes you more than the other team. And I want you to explain why next time you're going to go down this path. Maybe if you do, then I'll, I'll actually think you're legitimate and not just trying to get kiss up to God brownie points from the general public that see you on TV. Otherwise, this entire thing is a charade and you're just trying to get good publicity and good attention and be looked at as a God-fearing, God-valuing man, uh, athlete, okay? But to be intellectually consistent, there's two sides to this coin and, and God can't, you can't give all the credit to God for making you play the best and also have that not mean God wanted the other team to lose and not play their best. It has to be that way to be intellectually consistent. So from now on, whenever you hear an athlete go to this, I will. I hope you will look at it with scrutiny and see through it. That's the problem. I have a problem with fake people and fake things. Something like this that's half-baked and only on one side is philosophically inconsistent and therefore intellectually dishonest, and I just can't allow you to do it. I just can't. So whenever you see this from now on, pay attention to it because it should trigger a red flag in your mind that should make you start asking some questions. I don't take well to fake moral posturing, and that's what it is when you publicly start saying things about God that are totally, there's a whole nother half of it that's always ignored. Okay, so that doesn't fly with me. So that is the always annoyed segment. And uh, I mean, I'm sorry if I ruin that for you or if you think I'm a jerk for questioning something with God, but I've just always, this, this has always turned me off. 
even since I was a little kid, I always wondered, you know what? If God made this guy win and do good, he had to have made him beat the other guy and made him do bad. And why does God like this guy and this team more than the other? And I don't have a good answer for it. So you guys think about it and see if you can come up with one. All right, that's going to be it for the show. Do not forget to go to iTunes, rate it, give it five stars, right? John's a crazy person, but he's our crazy person and we like it. Uh, or whatever you're going to do, but I would appreciate that. So feel free to do it. Uh, get access to any one of these platforms, whatever's easiest for you. I don't care. I just want to keep building this show and keep growing. So thank you. Good night. We'll talk to you.